Good morning. You're listening to The Daily Cast, a podcast to start the day on Kilcullen Diary. I'm Brian Byrne, and it's Thursday, the 13th of May, 2021. Today, we'll look briefly at the life of the musical half of a comic genius duo in Victorian times, and I'll revisit recollections of the opening of the Mighty Basilica at Knock Shrine. But first, the weather and the mist and fog this morning will clear. It'll be a dry day with sunny spells from mid-morning, and temperatures will get up to about 14 degrees in light breezes from the west. Our person of interest today is Arthur Sullivan, one of Britain's most prolific composers in Victorian times. He was the son of a military bandmaster who had been born in Ireland but raised in London. With music as his childhood background, Arthur became proficient with most of the instruments in the band, especially the wind ones, and his musical ability was reflected in the fact that he composed his first piece, an anthem, at the age of eight. Four years later, he was accepted as a member of the Chapel Royal Choir in the Royal Household, where his compositional talent was noted and encouraged. At the age of 14, he won the first Mendelssohn Scholarship of the Royal Academy of Music, a bursary that was extended for another two years and which allowed him to study in Leipzig in Germany. In 1862, a performance of his music written for Shakespeare's The Tempest was described as a sensation. Later, he worked as an organist to supplement his income as a composer. Through the 1860s, he composed in a range of musical areas, including ballet, symphony and opera. In 1870, he met the poet and dramatist W.S. Gilbert, and their first collaboration was a comic opera commissioned by London's Gaiety Theatre for a Christmas entertainment. It was a production which continued long past that festive season. In 1875, Sullivan and Gilbert were commissioned by theatre manager Richard Doyley Cart to write a comic opera, Trial by Jury. It became a surprise hit and ran for 300 performances. And over the next 15 years, the pair created a further 12 operas. Their HMS Pinafore in 1878 was the production that made them an international musical phenomenon. Doyle Cart was able to build a new Savoy Theatre from his share of the business they generated. Sullivan was, in parallel, gaining a substantial reputation in composing popular songs and parlour ballads, and as a conductor, that latter he did reluctantly, fearing it would eat into his time for composing. In May 1883, Sullivan was knighted by Queen Victoria for his services to music. In 1891, a financial disagreement broke the relationship with Gilbert, and though they were briefly reunited in 1896, it was the last time they worked together. Sullivan subsequently worked with other librettists, and at the time of his death in 1900, suddenly from a heart attack, he was working on an opera with Basil Hood called The Emerald Isle. It was completed posthumously and produced in the year after his death. In all, Arthur Sullivan composed 24 operas, 11 major orchestral works, a number of choral, ballet and church pieces, and hymns that included onward Christian soldiers. But though a serious and accomplished musical figure in his time, it's the likes of HMS Pinafore, the Pirates of Penzance and the Mikado, which are his most enduring legacy.
Arthur Sullivan, the musical half of a genius association, was born on this day 179 years ago. Now to our feature of the day. More than 40 years ago, I was working for the Catholic Communication Centre in Dublin as a communications trainer and a journalist in their network tapes division. I was producing audio programmes for use in the religious curriculum in Ireland's schools. One of the tapes I spent some time making was about Knock Shrine in County Mayo, which required going on a number of occasions to talk to the people who worked there. The parish priest was the late Canon James Horan, already a legend in his own time. He talked to me about when he was first posted to Knock in 1963. When I came to work here, the work was very hard because there were only two of us here, the parish priest and myself, and we depended uh, on the priest who came here with uh, groups to help us out in our work. We also depended on the priests in the neighbouring parishes who are always very good and who are very good now, who come in every Sunday, maybe after uh, singing to a masses and helping us to, with confessions, because the confessional is, is a very big part of our work here. I think that it's really Our Lady's most important work at Knock Shrine. But uh, we needed a lot of organisation. And if I take credit for anything, I think it's the fact that I have organised things in a much better way than they were. Uh, I've brought in a lot of priests. Uh, here in Knock, I have about 18 or 19 priests staying with me during the summer. And I regard these as a basic staff. And they are augmented very often then by the priests who come with groups and the uh, priests who come in from neighbouring parishes. And that makes work very easy for us now. At that time, uh, we hadn't the facilities that we have now either in the matter of buildings. And one of the biggest needs we had, of course, was uh, shelter for the pilgrims who came here. Because on a Sunday, if 15 to 20 or 30,000 came here, they just literally had to stay out in the rain. And uh, that included a lot of invalids. And here I was, you know, looking out at these people from the sacristy, and I felt very guilty about the whole thing. And uh, the Archbishop, Most Reverend Dr. Joseph Canaan, who has always been my guide and my advisor, uh, and myself came to the conclusion that we would have to do something about it. I found a lot of pilgrims coming, and I found that there were no facilities for them, not even uh, toilet facilities, and we had to start from the bottom and build up. Then we had to shelter them, then uh, we had to uh, put up other buildings, uh, building for invalids where they can uh, be catered for. We have the resting care unit, for instance, where they're received there, they get all kinds of facilities, medical facilities, and they get refreshments, and they get shelter. Uh, we have St. Joseph's Invalids Hostel where they can uh, come for a week. It's a kind of a pilgrimage, it's a kind of a retreat, if you like. And, but uh, they come there for a week, free gratis and for nothing, and uh, we're very proud of this service because a lot of invalids throughout the country and old people uh, can be very lonely, and uh, by taking them out for a week, they meet other invalids who perhaps are 
worse than they are themselves and they begin to count their blessings and it's a very, very happy occasion for them. And I always find that invalids and old people generally are a wonderful, happy people. I have learned from them that uh, happiness doesn't mean the absence of suffering, you know, that the suffering and other ills can exist and still people can be perfectly happy and perfectly peaceful in themselves. When the facilities for the invalids had been improved, Monsignor Horan and Archbishop Cunan turned their attention to improving conditions for the other pilgrims. The result was perhaps the crowning glory of Knock today, the Basilica of Our Lady Queen of Ireland. We talked about it, uh, I began to talk about it in 1969, and then we were three or four years planning it, because we had to plan it very, very carefully. And one of the first things we thought about was to have it acoustically perfect. In other words, that the sound in the church would be perfect, because if we ever got a church, you see, where you couldn't communicate with people, it would be useless at a shrine like Knock. So we planned it very, very carefully. Uh, we knew that it would have to be a round building, because that was more economical per uh, campus per person in the building. We also knew that it would have to be a building where everybody could see the altar. It would be a big building. There was a limit to the size of it, but we built it as big as we could. And we had to limit it, of course, according to our budget as well. But we began building it in 1973. We had the plans ready then, and we got planning permission, and we started the, the work. The Basilica took three years to build and cost one and three quarters of a million pounds. And therein lies another tale, for the Basilica was one of the few modern churches built without a parish having to go into debt. People often ask me, you see, where we got the money. I said, I, I, don't, really, I don't really know. We, it came, Our Lady sent it to us. I got so many, many letters from all over the world, particularly from Ireland. And uh, in a way, the getting of the money was something miraculous as far as I'm concerned. I don't take any credit for it, because I think it happened in some mysterious way. The letters, of course, uh, brought money, and uh, people called and gave donations. But I often thought that I should write a book on the letters that I've received, because the wonderful, wonderful faith and the wonderful sincerity of the people who sent on these donations was marvellous that really that I'd go down on my knees and kiss the feet of some of the people in Ireland who have sent me even small donations because it wasn't the donations so much as the wonderful faith they have and the wonderful trust in God and the wonderful love of God and the respect for Our Lady. It was marvellous. I have uh, kept a lot of these letters and maybe someday when I have time I'll go through them and take extracts and it will really be worthwhile publishing them to let other people see the wonderful faith that comes through to you in the words of these, even ordinary people. Well, we finished it in 1976, and we were due for opening on the 18th of Sunday, the 18th of July. We had a big celebration then, but we had to open it earlier, in on the second, third Sunday in May of 1976. It poured from the heavens and you couldn't ask anybody to stand outside. 
So in a matter of two hours, we had to get the place inside ready to make up an altar and to bring the people in. And uh, they came in in their thousands. And it was so marvellous that they began to sing hymns uh, spontaneously on entering the church. And everybody there at the time, you know, felt it was something marvellous. People even shed tears at the idea. James Horan, who passed away in August 1986. And that's an extract from I Came to Knock, a programme which I produced in 1980 for the Catholic Communication Centre. You'll have heard the canon talking about the unplanned early opening of the Basilica on the third Sunday in May 1976. As it happens, the date was the 16th, and the 16th of May this year also falls on a Sunday. This weekend, marks 45 years since heavy rain caused the doors of Knock Basilica to be thrown open to worship. Nodding to the local news of this morning, the Galair Nationalist headlines the celebration of the 80th birthday of Athai Tidy Town stalwart Brendan Maloney, and the Leinster leader gives prominence to the Enactus Ireland National Competition for a Student Social Entrepreneurship in which students from Maynooth University are participating. Both newspapers highlight 35 new cases of COVID reported yesterday in County Kildare. On KFM Radio, the lead is the county's 14-day COVID incidence rate. Now, it seems, the highest in Ireland. From the Nationals, the Irish Times also goes COVID lead, giving prominence to expectations that the way will be cleared to give under-50s the J&J and the AstraZeneca vaccines. The Independent is an uncharacteristic joyful mood, saying that the Cabinet is considering allowing fully vaccinated people to travel abroad for holidays from July. The Examiner gives its main story to that removal of the wedding marquee in Dublin yesterday, reporting on the large presence of Gardaí on alert during the operation. RTE's focus is again international, headlining further escalation of the latest Israeli-Gaza conflicts. The journal.ie brings us back home to the housing quandary, reporting that plans to deal with investment funds might not be ready for another two weeks. And that's it from the Daily Cast for today. Hope you found something of interest. I'm Brian Byrne. This is Kilgallen Diary, and thank you all again for coming along.